0: If you can open your Bibles to Jonah, chapter one. We're gonna pick up. We started this series a couple of weeks ago and then it was interrupted with the snowstorm last week. And I'm um, thankful that uh, we have 60 degree weather today and this week, because I am tired of shoveling snow. But I am thankful because I, uh, last Sunday afternoon after the plow came by our street, uh, the snow was about four feet deep at the end of our driveway. And I got out there and I started shoveling. I was about 20 minutes into it. My back was already sore from doing the driveway the day before. And uh, I heard this motor coming. Boy, that's a sweet sound. (laughs) And he came around, he had this big scoop. And in about three minutes, he had me cleared out. I said, I thank you and my back thanks you. Uh, It was a wonderful thing. So praise God for good neighbors. And uh, it was a wonderful thing. Today I've entitled the message Man Overboard, and as we think in terms of the literature of scripture and how scripture works, and even in culture, every culture has a desire to have a hero. Have you thought about that? I mean, even when I was a kid, I remember the very first cartoon that I can remember as far back as I can remember in the 60s. Roger Ramjet. Now you're like, who in the world is Roger Ramjet? Well, go out and look it up on YouTube, and he sings that little tune, Roger Ramjet, he's our man, hero of our nation, da, da, da. Anyhow, it goes on and on. But hero of our nation. The whole hero aspect is there. Superman. You know, faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. And yet he had a problem with kryptonite. You know, each character had some kind of flaw. Then you had the dynamic duo, Batman and Robin. Well, I used to play that with my brother and he was always Batman because he was older and I was Robin. You guys remember the cloth diapers? Remember those? We used to pin those to the back of our t-shirts and that would be our cape. We would run. (laughs) We were the dynamic duo. But there's something about wanting to emulate heroes. There really is in our culture. And, you know, we look even in the military and we talk about military heroes. You know, you think about Stonewall Jackson and some of the great generals that led armies. And you look at political heroes. And we look at sports heroes. And when we go into the store and you go into, like, uh, shields or... Uh, Another, you know, Dick's Sporting Goods, and you look on the rack for a jersey, and it's always the top players because they're the heroes. Because we are drawn to heroes. And, you know, in the Bible, Jonah, in a sense, was a hero because he was a prophet of God. And yet he had flaws. And we can look back through Scripture, and we see Joseph was a hero because he was tempted, or trying to be tempted by Potiphar's wife, and he said no, falsely accused, and yet God uses him to save the people. And so Daniel as well was a hero. When he said he would not do what they wanted him to do and stop praying, he kept praying to his God and he was thrown into the lion's den, and he emerges as a hero. We see it as well in Esther, the story of Esther, how God promotes her to queen. And she is able to talk to the king and unfold and uncover the horrible plot by Haman to have the Jewish people annihilated. And God raises her up to be a hero. So there's something about this hero aspect, but there's also another aspect in scripture, and it's called tragedy. And I don't know if we can say definitively that Jonah is a book of tragedy, but in a sense it is. It's a satire, as it were, because there's an exaggeration of stuff that happens. But it's to help us comprehend the depth of sin, the horribleness of sin, and the greatness of God's mercy. That's what he wants us to see in this passage of Scripture. The battle between good and evil. And so Jonah, in a sense, is the protagonist. He is the hero. He is the one who is given the assignment, go to the people, preach to them the truth so they can see the light of truth, come out of darkness and be saved so God can be worshipped and glorified. And what does he do? He's given the assignment to go east, 500 miles east of his home. Instead, he goes, wants to go 2,500 miles west to Tarshish a place that's far away from God's plan but before we get too hard on Jonah how about us how about myself how about you how do we respond to the assignment that God has given us let me ask you a couple of questions If God impressed upon your heart to go to your neighbor and share the gospel with him, would you do it? If God impressed upon your heart to witness to a person you rub shoulders with in your circle of influence, would you do it? If God impressed upon your heart to get into a spiritual conversation with a family member regarding their eternal destiny, would you do it? If God allowed you to experience a painful trial, would you ask God to show you how you might be able to use that trial for his glory? That brings it down to where we live and the assignments that God has given us. God is still looking for heroes today, spiritual heroes, us to rise up and be the people of God who will proclaim the gospel so in the story of Jonah, we learn about the folly of a prophet of God. We see his folly by what he turns to, which is his own way, and what he departs from, God's way. So the first thing I want to remind us of when we talked about this in the message of the first week was the purpose of God. God's purpose was for Jonah to go and preach the gospel, to preach salvation to these Gentiles, these pagans. It was, he doesn't like God's purpose for him. He does not agree with God's purpose for him. What was God's purpose? Not just for him to preach. God's purpose was he wanted to exercise his mercy toward them. And he was going to be the channel of mercy to these people. What does God want you and I to do with our neighbor? The person he wants us to rub shoulders with, to influence with the gospel. He wants to use us as a channel of mercy. He's saying, I'm looking for some heroes who will be a channel of my mercy. So that God is glorified when people come to Christ. That's what he wants from all of us. And he wanted to be able to demonstrate the same mercy that he had exercised toward the Jewish people to the Gentiles. And see, Jonah was like, you know, we're the special people. We're the ones. And it makes me wonder, if you have grown up in church your whole life, like I have, I think it's easy for us to become very judgmental toward people who never grew up in church, who know nothing about God, and we expect them to come in and act like us. What are we thinking? (laughs) What are we thinking? If they're lost, and our speaker this weekend out at the men's attack. He grew up, he said, in a bar. His dad was an alcoholic. How in the world is he going to have any kind of concept of God unless he sees people who have the mercy of God flowing through them to him, loving him and caring about him, instead of saying, well, you know, it's 11.30, church is over, it's time to get to lunch. Have you looked around? Have you ministered to the people that God is bringing to us? Or what about the people in the marketplace? Are we reaching them? What is the purpose of God for us today? that he wants us to accomplish. You see, it's difficult to show mercy to someone who has hurt you. Is it not? The Assyrian people hurt the Jewish people. That's why Jonah didn't want to go. He was very much like the elder brother and the prodigal son. The elder brother, when the younger brother came home, he repented and then lived like a fool. And then the father forgives him and he throws a party, and the elder brother's sitting over there pouting. That's exactly the way Jonah was. He had forgotten the mercy that God had shown him. See, if a person or a group of people have acted in unjust ways against you, we feel they deserve to feel the injustice and pain that they caused. After all, doesn't Scripture say that we reap what we sow? The major problem with this is Jonah was attempting to place himself in the position of God. He wanted to be the judge and jury and decide what should happen to these Gentile Ninevites. When you and I attempt to take the place of God, we are setting ourselves up for a hard fall. God's purpose was to use Jonah as an ambassador to bring salvation to these people And God sovereignly chose Jonah. Yeah, God could have just raised up a Gentile. But he wanted to use Jonah. And that was his plan. He wants to use us as well. Well, to move on from the purpose of God, let's go to the consequences of sin. The consequences of sin. We see that Jonah runs, he's in, a, in this run for 2,500 miles to the west. And then it says in verse four, and he's running from the presence of the Lord, which we talked about two weeks ago, you can never get out of the presence of the Lord. It's interesting that they would say that. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and a violent storm arose and the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God, And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and he fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find who is responsible for this calamity. And they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us. What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. This terrified them and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. We see the consequences of his sin not only impacting him but other people. And one of the lies of the enemy is, well, this is only impacting me. If you think that sin only impacts you, you are greatly deceived. It impacts everybody around you. Jonah was deceived. Is that not coming up? I don't see it there. Jonah, oh, that's right, I don't have that one on there. Jonah was deceived in his rebellion. He somehow came to believe that he could sin against God, listen, and get away with it. Have you ever felt that way? He came to believe that he could resist God's purpose and will and be okay. He did not rebel, though, with the idea that this is going to cost me a great price. I don't think people intentionally rebel and say, you know, this is going to cost me a lot when I do this. No, they think they're going to do it and get away with it, and so they do it anyhow. You ever watch that show, Cops? Oh, man, the stupidity of some of the criminals. Like, they're going to really get away with it. And yet, we treat God the same way. I'll just rebel, and I'll continue on my merry way. However, look at what happens next. This storm causes the sailors to go into a panic mode, and what do they do? They start throwing cargo overboard. That's money. That's possessions. It's not just extra cargo, it's a cost. They're afraid of the ship capsizing. or being filled with water and sinking, and yet these are skilled, trained sailors who have been in storms. This is quite a storm. They knew what to do in a storm. And then they start praying. It's amazing to me how quickly people become religious when they are faced with something in their life that is beyond their control. They quickly become religious. They look for something. Jonah was not only deceived in his rebellion, he was also hardened in his rebellion because the pagan captain had to come and tell him to pray. He didn't pray on his own. And nowhere does it say in that particular part of Scripture that he did pray. He was hardened in his rebellion. That's what rebellion does to us when we continue to persist against the purpose of God, we become hardened inside. It does something to us. We become more comfortable in our sin. He doesn't seek the Lord. Yet the sailors were not content. They wanted to get to the bottom of who caused this storm. They knew it was not a normal storm. And someone had upset the gods. And they wanted to know who the guilty party was. So they cast lots. Now lots is taking these colored stones. And kind of you know, casting them. And seeing if two dark stones come up. Then the answer is no. If two light stones come up. The answer is yes. If one's dark and one's light, you do it again. And can you imagine if they wanted to know not just was Jonah guilty, but it says the sailors said to each other, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible. In other words, it could be one of us. And so they had their little lineup, and all of a sudden one of the sailors is in the hot seat, and you start casting lots, and can you see Jonah kind of over in the corner starting to get, break out into a sweat on his brow and saying, I hope it's him. I hope it's him. The next one, I hope it's him. And pretty soon, it gets down to Jonah. And Jonah's the one that's guilty. And the lot falls on Jonah. What a coincidence. God used lots. We don't do that today. It's not gambling. It was something that they they used. We don't do that today because we have the Holy Spirit to guide us and lead us. But the lot came to Jonah. And Jonah knew he was guilty. And they began probing him with questions then. And they asked him all these questions down in verse 8. Tell us who's responsible for making all this trouble. What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? Do you know when you're in guilt, the last thing you want is somebody pointing a finger, asking you a bunch of questions? That's the last thing you want. I mean, you want to remove yourself from people. That's why he's running. You don't want people asking you a bunch of questions. You know why people who are guilty, why they want to get out of church so quick? (laughs) They don't want to talk to anybody. Because somebody might find out who I really am, what I'm really about. They might find something out about me. Because you see, I have secrets. And by asking questions, it may uncover my secret. And so we run from relationships. And we think we can keep the secret, but we can't. Saul thought he could keep the secret when he went in. and He was told to destroy the Amalekites. And he decided to keep some of the sheep and cattle and for himself. And, and then Samuel was like, what's that bleeding of sheep I hear in the background? I mean, you can't hide the secret. Here's what the psalmist said, for when I kept silent, My bones wasted away. Secrets do something to us internally. It takes a lot of emotional and physical energy to keep a secret. To live a double life. To live a hypocritical life. That's what Jonah was doing. Because you see, he was saying one thing with his life and another thing with his lips. He wasn't being a man of integrity And he was hiding the secret. He says, through my groaning all day long. I mean, it just haunts you day after day, night after night. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. That's what the conviction of sin will do in a person's life. And so then you have to have another coping mechanism and then people will turn to alcohol or drug or some other form of addiction. To deal with the anxiety that the sin has caused. Keeping secrets is very draining. Achan was an example as well. He kept a Babylonian garment and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold. And he hid it in his tent. David secretly sinned with Bathsheba and tried to cover it up by having her husband return from the battle. And when that plan failed, he sent him out to have him murdered to cover up his sin, his secret. Do you have any secrets in your life that you need to deal with? I would encourage you to deal with them. I want to talk about Four keys to overcoming rebellion. Because this is what we see in the life of Jonah, that he was rebelling against the purpose of God. Four keys to overcoming rebellion. And if we do these, we will be in a place where God wants us to be. The first one is a correct view of God. You see, Jonah... While he had his theology right in his head, he did not have it right in his heart. There are a lot of people who can quote scripture and they know their theology and they've got it all straight up here and they know their P's and Q's and they dot the I's and cross the T's, but they do not have the theology of God right in their heart. That God is merciful and loving and kind, that he is sovereign. Jonah's testimony, if you look down in verse 9 when they ask him all these questions in verse 8, he answers, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. Was he really worshiping God at that time? He said so, but his life was saying something else. And there's a problem when we have a discrepancy in our life between what we say and what we do. And God has a problem with that. There was a huge discrepancy in Jonah's life, what was coming out of his mouth and the way he was behaving. Because to worship God is to love God. To worship God is to obey God. To worship God is to honor God and magnify Him in my life. And the Bible says the way we worship God is in spirit and in truth. That I have a spirit of worship, I have an eager expectation. Like the psalmist, he said, I was glad when they said unto me, Let us go to the house of the Lord. The reason some people can't invite somebody to church is because they're not here themselves. How are you going to invite somebody if you're not even here to greet them? Why? Because worship is not a priority in people's lives today. Many people will put other things ahead of worship. Well, I worship him in my own way. Worship him, the Bible says, in spirit and truth. Not your own way. Don't make God out to be who you want him to be. That's idolatry. Worship has to be a priority for the people of God. Yes, culture will always have an opportunity for us to do something other than worship. Don't think that our culture is unique and say, well, you know, today, we have all this stuff going on. It doesn't matter. Back in their day, they had something else. Culture doesn't care about God. God's people care about God. Amen? Amen? We care about God. We have the correct view of God. We worship and exalt God so that the world is drawn to us and culture is impacted by the church and not the other way around. He says in Psalm 114, seven, Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob. Have we lost our trembling before God in our day, in our culture? Have we lost that? He says in Psalm 96, 9, Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. I think Jonah lost that temporarily. And I think we lose it too. That God is unequaled in person, purity, and power. Do you have a correct view of God? If you do, you will not rebel against him. Secondly, complete submission to God's authority. Complete submission to God's authority. Well, Jonah maybe had some areas he was okay with. He just wasn't real comfortable with this one, this assignment, this purpose. You know, it's amazing how God can pinpoint certain things in my life that I don't want to do. (laughs) I'm like, I know they can do it, or it's okay for them, but for me? I don't want to do that. And yet, somehow, God pinpoints that in my life. But we see complete submission to God's authority. Jonah comes to that place where he recognizes the authority of God. We see down in chapter two, from inside the fish, he prays to the Lord. After he's thrown overboard, he says, In my distress I called the Lord and he answered me. From the depths of the grave I called for help. You listened to my cry. Why was he crying out to God? Now he's willing to be in submission. (laughs) He's there. He's broken. What we have to remember is we're always broken. We're always broken before the Lord. We are broken people. We need the Lord Submission is admitting our need of God and acknowledging our brokenness. Can you acknowledge your brokenness? Your need of the Lord? Complete submission to God's authority. When he was in distress, it says, I called to the Lord. What do you do in your distress? When you're in deep weeds, or in this case, deep water, what do you do? Submission is all about control. It's saying God is God and I am not. Complete submission to God's authority. Thirdly, a third key to overcoming rebellion in our lives is confession of sin. Confession of sin. Jonah comes clean and acknowledges his guilt. Look down in verse 11. The sea in chapter 1 was getting rougher and rougher. They asked him, What should we do to make the sea calm down for us? He says, Pick me up and throw me into the sea, and it will be calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon me. There's confession. It's my fault, not your fault. And I, so many people want to play the victim mentality. Well, the reason I have this problem, the reason I have this problem with these people is because of, and they got some fill in the blank and they blame shift instead of taking personal responsibility for their own behavior. I take responsibility. Confession of sin is taking personal responsibility. Jonah comes clean, acknowledges his guilt. I'm the reason this storm has happened. He comes clean of all his secrets. He doesn't continue to live a life of deception as it will destroy you. He admits to God his rebellion and his failure to submit to his authority and his will. Let me tell you what happens if we fail to confess sin. We go spiraling deeper into it. That's what will happen. I recently read the story of Michael English. It makes me weep. It it, it makes me weep. Because here was a guy who was at the pinnacle of his career, a gospel singer, one of the most gifted male vocalists who had Dove Awards. And he was gifted, but he got involved with another woman in another singing group. And he got involved in that relationship while he was married. And then, he tried to straighten out his own marriage. And this is his story, it's his words coming out of his book. so I'm not telling you anything he hasn't already said. He said he goes to Hawaii with his wife to try to fix their marriage. And he gets a call from this woman he had the affair with, and she says, I think I'm pregnant. Uh Uh-oh. That's a problem. That's a big problem. And the Dove Awards are the next week. How convenient. And he's up for nominations of awards. Horrible timing. He divorces his wife. He tries to make a go of it with her. It falls apart. This is what rebellion will do. Destroys his life. He starts going out clubbing. He starts taking drugs to deal with the anxiety. becomes addicted to pills. Up to, I think, $400 a day pill habit. He goes into a treatment facility to detox. His life is in shambles. A life of rebellion. But he also had things in his life that he had never, ever dealt with in the secret places of his heart. Which I find, it it makes you weep. Because we have a God who is Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. I I know some people have the most horrible, deplorable past. They have pain upon pain upon pain upon pain But God is greater than your greatest pain. He is the healer who will heal your brokenness. And that's why God wanted Jonah to go to the Ninevites, the broken people, and bring the light of truth and the hope of the gospel who could heal and deliver and bring salvation and bring glory to God. God is most glorified when people turn to him in faith and trust. But I like how the story conclu- or continues with Michael English. Because he named his book. The book is titled, The Prodigal Comes Home. My story of failure and God's story of redemption. God brought him back. But you know what? what, what another interesting point that I, I found in the story as I was reading through it is he had been singing on stage for years all these gospel songs. And he said when he went to the treatment facility, he packed some clothes and his Bible. And he said when he got to the treatment facility, he pulled his Bible out and opened it. And it was the first time in years he had opened the scripture. See, his life was saying one thing. And his words were saying something else. Confession of sin, but when he came clean, the relief that came to his heart was amazing. But you know, here's the sad part about tragedies. Jonah didn't have to go through this storm. He didn't have to be swallowed by a fish. He didn't have to be in there for three days and three nights. He could have just gone. But that's where tragedy comes in, because he chose not to. He chose to rebel. And when we choose to rebel, we face consequences that can be so devastating. And I hope if you hear my voice, young people, middle-aged people. See, I've been in ministry 20 years. I know how it works. I have seen and I have heard broken stories of people Who project one thing on Sunday and they live a totally different way on Monday. And we're in trouble when that happens. God is able because He's a God of mercy. Let me go to the fourth one quickly cultivate a thankful heart. Cultivate a thankful heart. God provides this fish to swallow Jonah. He's there for three days and three nights. He cries out to the Lord. The God hears him and answers. And notice how devastating it is. Look down in verse 3 of chapter 2. You hurled me, he's talking about God, into the deep, into the very heart of the sea, and the currents swirl about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight. You talk about hopeless and helpless when you feel you've been banished from God. That's a pretty hopeless place to be. And there are a lot of people today who feel that because of what they're involved in, their addiction, their sin. But I have good news. God wants to deliver you from your sin. He's banished from your sight, yet I will look again, he said, toward your holy temple. There's the hope. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath me barred me in forever. But then he says, but you brought up my life from the pit. Oh, Lord, my God, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But then he says, but I with a song of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And then it says the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. He was delivered. You know, it's also a picture, I think, of what was going to happen to Israel later on. Because later on, the Assyrians are going to capture Israel and dominate them. The Assyrians are going to swallow Israel. And God is going to deliver them just like he delivered Jonah out of the fish. You see, the story of salvation is so wonderful So many people that want to save themselves and we can't. If you look in chapter 1, verse 13, let me just mention quickly. Jonah says, it's my fault you need to throw me in, in verse 12. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land. They didn't want to throw him in. But they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. They cried out to the Lord, Lord, please don't want us die for this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you have done as you pleased. They had a fear of God. But the amazing thing was, they tried to row back to land, and they couldn't. I think it shows us the picture of human effort trying to save ourselves, and we can't. So many people, you know, I live a good life. I do these good things. That doesn't save you. That doesn't remove our sin. Our sin separates us from a holy God. That's what he's showing a picture of Jonah's sin and the horribleness of it, of his rebellion and how God redeems him when he recognizes his brokenness. And he's not able to save himself. God provides the fish to bring salvation. What a great story. It shows the mercy of God. Look here. David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Let us fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercy is great. But let me not fall into the hand of man. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Ghost. The mercy of God is giving me, withholding from me what I deserve, which is eternal wrath and judgment. But God in His grace and mercy sent His Son that we could be redeemed. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, let me ask you, how are you doing? How am I doing? What is the purpose of God for my life? You know, I said I, I started off at the beginning talking about heroes and how God is looking for a hero. But also I t- asked some questions about if God impressed upon our heart to go to our neighbor and share the gospel, would you do it? I'm guessing a lot of us would say, well, yes, I would. He just hasn't impressed that upon me. May I encourage you to read the Great Commission again? Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. If God hasn't impressed that upon you recently, he needs to impress it upon you again and again. The brokenness of man, the mercy of God, Did God's mercy redeem me? He wants me to be a spiritual hero who allow the channel of his mercy to flow through me to the lost. You see, Jonah is the most missionary book in the Old Testament you will find. God's heart for the lost. Do you have a heart for the lost? If God impressed upon your heart to witness to a person you rub shoulders with in your circle of influence, would you do it? Or a family member? Or maybe you're experiencing a painful trial. Have you asked God how you can use that trial for his glory? That's his purpose. What about rebellion? Yeah, we may not do it actively, but maybe we do it passively. We just don't share with people. We just don't do certain things that God wants us to do is rebellion. Do you have a correct view of God? Do you really think you are hiding your sin from God? And that you're going to get away with it? Have you come to the place of complete submission to His authority? And you've confessed your sin to the Lord and you have a thankful heart? Thankfulness is such a key. Our speaker even addressed that this weekend as well. Having a thankful heart, thankful for my salvation and for God's mercy in my own life. Maybe you're here today and you've never bowed your knee to the Lord, and you have allowed rebellion to deceive you and harden you. This would be the day of salvation where you can give your life to Christ, where you realize that it was your sin and my sin that nailed Jesus to the cross. That's why He died. He paid the penalty for sin. (coughs) shed His blood that we could be forgiven and given His mercy. Would you receive His mercy into your life? You can receive Him today by inviting Him into your life. If you have questions about your eternal destiny or questions about salvation in this relationship with God, please speak to me after the service. Call the church. Set up an appointment. We'd be glad to talk with you about your eternal destiny. Let's pray. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you'd like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.